once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Now on our podcast, we interview musicians and other industry professionals to give you an inside look on how to take your music to the next level. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the C-Squared podcast with Corey, Curtis, and our cohort, Holly. You know, we should maybe change the name from C-Squared to, I don't know, CCH or something, but then we might get sued by CCH Pounder, so never mind. But anyway, today, we are going to be talking about how to get ready for your PR campaign. There are certain things that you do need to take into consideration prior to reaching out to a PR to make sure that your PR is going to be as successful as possible So we're going to be going over those steps today, and it's going to be super informative. Yes. So there's a number one thing that you need prior to having anything at all ready for a PR campaign. Holly, can you tell us what it is? I want to see if you got it. Oh, oh God, pressure. I mean, I was going to go with information first, biographical information. No, that's not what you're thinking. What would be the first thing that you need prior to starting a PR campaign? I mean, the music would be helpful. There you go. But what kind of music do you need? You need quality music, right? Preferably, yeah. Preferably. No, we got to have... No, you do need quality music. So um, can you kind of explain, Holly, let's get your viewpoint on what you would think would be quality music. Um, I usually think of something that's pretty well written. Um, I know that sort of can vary a little bit between preferences, but, you know, something that is of you know a decent musical ability preferably something that's produced well so it doesn't sound like you've recorded it on your phone in the garage or something like that unless you're black unless you're black yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and i well obviously we don't accept anything that's got you know um discriminative lyrics or anything like that so i'd not have that cool um Okay, so good music. Uh, Corey, since you're a journalist, sometimes, I mean, all the time, most of the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, lives. Well, I was trying to separate the hats here. So I was, I was trying to say it in a way without. Yeah. Um, so anyways, Corey, one of Corey's hats is as a journalist. So from the journalist perspective, what would you consider to be good music, not from a PR perspective? So, I mean, it's super subjective. Obviously, my opinions are going to differ from Greg's opinions, who are going to differ from Rob's opinions on what is good. But honestly, what will set you apart is having solid production. So you're mixing and you're mastering on point because music is so subjective. I mean, there's certain genres that you're really not going to be able to do anything about if somebody doesn't just vibe with it or, or whatever. But the thing you can't control is how well your music is mixed and mastered. The biggest thing that I run into that costs people coverage is the vocals in their mixing are just completely whack. Like yeah. they're either too quiet or they're too loud. And yeah. that's what will be like, you know what, this song could be good, but so that's the biggest pitfall, I think. Okay, so good music um, is the number one thing. It's all subjective, but um, if you're looking to get into the biggies, which Metal Injection is, then you got that the mixing and mastering especially are good. And you want to make sure that production is good, doesn't sound like it's recorded on a phone, unless you're black metal. 
or punk, punk or black metal. That'd be about it. Um, and that is such a small <laughs> subset yeah. that I mean, it's not that you're you're not going to reach a ton of people. Yeah. Being one of those kind of bands, even if that is like your true cult nature or whatever you're probably not going to hit the big boys unless you happen to land on that one writer that's super into that. Let's talk about this actually for one brief second, because this, this is actually because, okay, the style and whether you should get PR, a PR campaign or not. Let's talk about this for one second, because you just made a very good point. Uh, an underground black metal band <clears throat> is probably not going to need PR in a lot of cases, but sometimes they will. So, um, cause for example, some of those true cult, black metal bands will get picked up by some pretty large hipster uh, sites, even still. Um, now, with Metal Injection, for example, um, or something like Metal Sucks or whatever, they're looking for the, they're looking for the bands that get the most clicks and are more, more commercially acceptable. You want to kind of go into that? Or so how I'm not always the case. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a mix. With yeah. Metal Injection, Metal Sucks, all those big guys, they need the big bands like your Slipknots of the world and the whole mm -hmm. what does Corey Taylor think about things. Mm -hmm. They need that to stay alive. Yeah. But the biggest complaint about yeah. those kind of publications is that they don't feature the underground is just plain false. Mm -hmm. We do all the time. It's just that our biggest features are obviously the ones that everybody are gonna click on. So if you only focus like what's on our Facebook or whatever, all you're going to see are the big names. But if you actually go to our website, there's a ton of underground shit in there. But my whole point with the, the production is that specific genre of like raw black metal, you're going to have to hit the right person rather than the right publication to get those. Yeah. So, okay. So just one last thing I want to say on the, on the music part before we go into the next part is also, if depending upon your style, that should also tell you how much you want to budget for PR. Because if you're going, like, if you're a smaller unknown band that plays an accessible music, going and dropping three to four thousand dollars per month on like a high end PR doesn't make any sense, like, from where you are in the game. So, you kind of have to think with that too. Like, look at your style before PR, too. Um, yeah, that I definitely agree with. You don't want to hire some, if you're an underground, very, very niche genre, you don't want to hire somebody like, you know, that they rep Lamb of God and, you know, Metallica or whatever, because those big name PRs, they may have the contacts, but not the right ones for you. Yeah. Because you're going to need the niche contacts, not the mainstream. Yeah, and there's never a guarantee that the that the big name can get you anything either because they're used to dealing with big names is the main point. Uh, Holly, did you have anything you wanted to add to that before we moved on to the next part? Um, I guess this is slightly more music production related, but it might be useful. Um, when you're looking to produce your music, look for a sound engineer who specializes in what you're going for because mm -hmm. that can make a world of difference. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, you see people who go for these super duper awesome sound engineers, but if they're, for example, I don't know, no good at doing orchestral stuff and you've got a load of orchestral stuff, there's no point because you're not going to get the right sound. So do your research is my advice. 100%. 
Okay, so the, the next, well, we got a whole bunch of things, but the next thing I have on my list here is album art. So I know Corey is passionate about album art, so I'm going to let Corey talk about album art for a brief moment here. So I do love album art. I do love yeah. seeing cool album art. Some of my albums that I've bought, this is an example right here. Uh, I yeah. literally bought it because of the album art. You really want to have something that's catching, something that stands out. Um, and something that's fitting to you, like hiring a specific artist just because they're trendy and you see a lot of big bands using them, that's actually kind of a bad thing because you're going to blend in with everybody else. So my recommendation on album art is find an artist that may not be big, but that you vibe with and who gets your your genre, your vision, who, who takes the time to understand you and what you're going for versus somebody that's like, oh, they did so-and-so's artwork. I want to pay $10,000 for them to do my artwork so that I look like that band. You don't want to look like any other band. Yeah. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. And you do want something quality though. So, I mean, my recommendation is just find somebody that you connect with versus trying to find a name and create yeah. something catching that really, <clears throat> not just you, but the theme of your album. Agreed, agreed 100%. Holly, would you like to add anything about album art? Um, yeah, again, sort of like, yeah, do your research really, but also I think listen to recommendations as well. Cause um, I mean, like with our Disconnected Souls artwork, the guy we went with is someone who was recommended to us by loads of other bands. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, that you're getting someone who isn't just gonna, you know, take money off you to shove like a, I don't know, what do you call it? Like a sort of Getty image or something on something and then make it, pretend it's an album artwork. Yeah, so. yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, Holly, are you willing to say how much you guys paid approximately for your album art? Um, I I would if I could remember exactly how much it was. <laughs> yeah, art figure? Um, maybe 300-ish, because we had a full CD case done as well. So it wasn't just like the front piece. Cool. And that's so actually really affordable. Yeah, because yeah. usually it's around $300 to a couple thousand bucks that most people are paying as a general rule. And one thing else that you want to consider um, is album art is separate from album layout. They are two different beasts entirely. Good point. Good point. So when you're looking for an artist, you can't always expect them to also put their art into a template for it to be printed onto a CD or a vinyl or, or whatever, um, because that's generally not what artists do. That's what graphic designers do. So very good. Thing to consider. Very good point. Um, okay, so next thing I want to take up is band pictures. So band pictures are something that's usually an after, not usually, sometimes an afterthought by bands. Um, a lot of times they will just do like an iPhone picture or something like that and just do something that's completely just not good at all. So Holly, let's let's hear your take first on band pictures since you're in a band. Is this because you don't like my band picture? Is that why yours. you're picking on this? <laughs> yours. Anyway, I don't like yours. I, I have to admit I didn't know. <laughs> I will say so honestly it's better than not having one at all i it honestly is. i get too many bands too many that are just like yeah we we don't feel we don't like taking band pictures we think band pictures are cheesy we don't do this 
you're only shooting yourself in the foot because we have to put something in order to cover you. Every yeah. publication has to put a featured image on every single article. So if you don't have a banned image, you're probably costing yourself. So I will say we that in defense oh. of Holly's banned picture. Well, <laughs> I want to, but there's two points to this here. There's two things I want to say. You can get away with, with a low quality band picture sometimes, but I want to point out that certain magazines, like for example, Metal Hammer, I have actually lost coverage because the band photo was not of sufficient quality, but the music was great. And they wanted to review the album and they would not do it because the band picture was fucking horrid. What were you that say, is Bert? true for a lot of people that also do print. Yep. So it's not as important with something like metal injection that is completely digital because yeah. you know the web display is never going to be super high resolution but yeah. if anybody who trades in print so your metal hammers your um festivals you know orcus yeah. metallion all of those you're gonna have to have something that's 300 dpi and on yeah. point yeah, because if, you, if you're planning on getting print or you even think you want to get print, make sure you have that high quality photo because otherwise you can wow the review editor, but the second they ask your PR or you for a band photo and you don't have one, you're fucked and you're not getting any coverage. They don't, you don't, they don't care how much they enjoy it. So Holly, I didn't, we didn't let you finish about yours because <laughs> you, re, you realized I was, I was partly making fun of you. So uh, let, let, let's hear your thoughts. Um, you've got to remind me what the question was again. It was good. What makes a good one, right? <laughs> yeah, what would you say would like, just like, well, I want you to wear your journalist hat for a second here and just kind of like say, what would you think would make a good band picture and would make you want more inclined to cover someone just by looking mm -hmm. at them? I feel, I mean, obviously something that's good quality um, in terms of pixel size and everything like that. But I kind of think something that, you know, like all the band members are reasonably evenly spaced. Yeah. Um, the background isn't so off-putting that you can't, I don't know, or it clashes with the vibe of the band. It kind of needs to fit with what they're going for. Because mm -hmm. um, I do see that quite a lot, actually. I don't know, you'll get one band that may maybe have like a really dark, gloomy image, but then the yeah. music doesn't reflect it and it just feels so disconnected, but not in a good way. Um, yeah. That wasn't a pun, by the way, I, just in case oh. you're wondering. Oh, <laughs> that was not intentional. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, um, go ahead, Holly. You were going to say something. I'll, I'll, I'll add once you're done. Um, well, so I guess maybe lighting as well. Because yeah. again, some people put so many, they'll either do like a really dark place in the first place or they put so many filters on afterwards. You then can't see the faces of the band members properly. And I know it kind of looks cool, but it's a nightmare when you're a journalist <laughs> trying to yeah. figure out which member is who. So. Yeah. Now, one last thing that I, or two more things I want to point out is that sometimes you, a band can get away with um, not really having their faces or anything in the picture. A good example is uh, a band we're currently working with called Slowmatics, or Slowmatics, not Slowmatics, um, who never put their faces in any of their pictures. It's always blurred out, or they put something else and it works for them. Um, I don't know why they do that, but they just do not ever want to show their face. And I made them go get pictures ago and they blurred out their faces completely and it worked. So I ain't going to complain about it. So you can do something like that if you really don't want to have your face out there. Uh, and then the other thing too, is just make sure that the image is consistent. Uh, one time, a few years ago, I had a band, I think they were black metal. I can't remember, 
but everybody was dressed up uh, like, you know, uh, leather jackets, jeans and stuff like that. And then there was one dude that had like a blue Hawaiian shirt on. And it, he just like stood out like a fucking sore thumb. So he's dressed like he's going to the beach. Everyone else is like, you know, it, it, it was just a bit goofy. It was an inconsistent image. So next thing we're going to talk about is social mediums, making sure that they are consistent and up to date. I know Corey likes to talk about this and let her go first. Making sure your socials are prepped. Yes. And the, I think the biggest thing is just have them. Yep. That is the, the biggest problem I think I run into is that people just don't have them because almost all journalists are going to vet you at least a little bit. And yep. the first place they're going to look is your social media accounts to make sure you're not a crazy person and that, you know, covering you is going to lead to a whole bunch of drama for the publication because, I mean, it happens. It happens where, you know, oh, why did you cover this band? Because they post all of this, you know, all these videos of them kicking puppies or something like that. I don't know. That's just, that's never actually happened. That's just some random example. But yeah, so have them. Make sure you're active on them. Because if I see that you haven't published anything since 2017, I'm going to assume you went to prison and that's why you're so quiet. And, and then, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be like, well, what did they do? Why, why aren't they active? What's going on in their life? What are they hiding? <laughs> you know, it's it the most very sus. It's very, very sus. You know what the most amazing thing is? You and I both never ever post on our own personal pages. But we <laughs> I both have published something since 2017, though. You have, and I have too. Well, I don't think I have. I think my personal page doesn't have any interest. <laughs> and my Twitter is still mildly active with random bullshit. So there's that. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll okay, and I do I do tweet. I gotta admit, and I do use Instagram. But I'm just saying, you being you saying you're not active on social well, media is like the biggest load of crap. But I'm not I'm not I'm not active on personal Facebook is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, no personals. Um, but we're so active on all of these other social media accounts. So I mean, there's only so much you can post in a day. But yes, be active on your social medias. Actually engage with people. And don't being silent is kind of a death sentence for you you don't want to sit there and do nothing yeah. uh holly what do you what would you say would be some things that people have to have prepped on their socials prior to starting pr um a big thing for me is making sure that all information and photos are up to date um because i mean only today i was looking through a band's social and stuff and they had a banner on their facebook that was advertising the album previous to what they're currently working on and oh. they've just not updated it yet Oh. and that does not look good is that um, one of our um it, it, yeah i'm gonna yeah oh, okay you yeah. can tell me we're gonna have okay. to poke some people um oh i think it actually no it was Bandcamp, not facebook but it's still advertising okay. the previous release so okay cool um yeah. so the photos are up to date anything else holly before we move on to the next one um, I think, yeah, just sort of general tidying up. So if lineup has changed, take off the old names and <laughs> things like that, yeah. really. Yeah. Okay, so the next one might be a teeny bit controversial, but um, in general, you want to have your videos ready prior to starting PR. It's not like 100% necessary all the time, uh, but it's always really nice to have your videos ready ahead of time. The reason why that is is because of the fact, like if you want to, if you're starting a PR campaign in, let's say, what is it, July? So August, and you're releasing, for example, in October, and you want us to get you a good premiere for that video, 
you need to have the video ready as early as possible. A lot of sites get booked up pretty quickly in advance. So if you spend a lot of time making a video and you want and you get all these production values and stuff like that, and then you give it to us like a week before release, you're pretty much shooting yourself in the foot for a good premiere. We can probably land you something, but it's not going to be like a AAA publication is the thing. Um, Holly, do you want to say anything further about that? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously I understand we're getting it quite a lot at the moment because, you know, the pandemic has pushed everyone back and that's completely understandable. You know, sometimes things happen, um, but starting a PR campaign and then after it started sort of thinking, oh, maybe we should start planning a video. It's a bit late. (laughs) And I'll be honest, I find it really annoying. Yeah, but it, it can work. It's just not good. It's yeah, it's just not going to be as good as it could have been. And I kind of think if you're putting all this money into a PR campaign, make sure that you can, you know, nothing is not going to happen because of something you haven't done. Or an, another option that people can do, which is something that one of our clients did, is they told us they're going to have a certain amount of videos ready within a certain amount of time, which does help. But it's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. Uh, Corey, did you have anything you wanted to add on videos? Um, no, I mean, yeah, most publications won't agree to cover something without one. Or at least, at least you know, a mostly done one that you might be still tweaking just a little bit. But yeah, you have to have something ready for people to look at if you're going to be pitching them or having somebody else pitch them. And the reason for that is because your video could be a completely janky quality while your song is great. Or, or, or feature something like, say, there's boobs in it and yeah. the publication mm-hmm. doesn't want to feature boobs or whatever. Or say yep. it's super murdery and they don't want to go that violent or, or whatever. You, I mean, there's reasons people want to see this stuff beforehand that aren't just quality based. Yeah. So make sure if you got if you want to do a video, try to have it ready before you start your, your PR campaign. Okay, so next thing. Um, this is probably a debatable topic, but well, probably not really debatable, but um, I think you should, if you can you should, if you can, have your Bandcamp and pre-order link ready when you start your uh, PR campaign, if you can. It's not always possible, but um, if you're doing like a three-month three PR campaign, for example, you should be able to have your Bandcamp up. If it's longer than that, might be a bit difficult because you can't put up Bandcamp, uh, but there are options like Big Cartel that you can use and stuff like that, worst case scenario. Um, so in my opinion, I think you should always try to have your pre-order up when you start the PR, uh, PR campaign. Uh, Holly, you get to talk about this for a brief second. Why would it be to the band's benefit to have the pre-order available when the campaign starts? Um, because it means that we can then send it out with every press release that we send out. And I do think, you know, when people read reviews or features about a band, they'll think, oh yeah, this is great, I'll buy the album. Obviously, if it's not available or there's no pre-order link, they go about their lives and they forget about it and they never come back to you. So you've missed out on a sale. Exactly. So it just means that you will get more sales, hopefully, by people who in the moment are really interested and there is a means of doing so. I agree with that. Uh, Corey, do you have anything to add on that before moving on to the next one? Well, there's this whole concept in sales and marketing called friction. And you want to reduce the amount of friction between a potential buyer and your product. So the amount of time they have to wait to actually purchase the item, that's extreme friction. And chances are they'll forget, they'll get frustrated, they'll just abandon it. The amount of clicks that it takes 
to get to your product. Each click represents a point of friction. So having a direct pre-order where they don't have to go to your website and then go to this place and then go to that place, make sure that the path that they take to get to your pre-order is as short as humanly possible. Rather than, I mean, that's going beyond just having it set up, make that path short. Yeah, so direct, like if you're trying to push, for example, the physical product, have the direct link there and uh, makes everybody's lives easier. Uh, next thing, also make sure that you have your MP3s loaded up to Spotify for Spotify, uh, title, etc. type stuff. Like there's different places, there's like TuneCore, there's DistroKid, there's CD Baby, all sorts of places like this where you can load up your music. Uh, one thing, most bands are pretty good about this, but there has been times where the band has forgotten to do this and the album doesn't hit Spotify by release date. Corey, you want to just briefly touch on this before we move on to the next one? Well, this is why it's so important to start submitting your stuff to Spotify or whoever your distributor is. So be a distro kid or whatever, as early as humanly possible. I honestly say have your stuff ready in Spotify at least four weeks in advance. Yeah. Um, specifically, not just for making sure that it goes live on time, but also doing the um, Spotify playlist pitching within Spotify for artists. I know they say, give it two weeks. That's not enough time. Yeah. You need a minimum of four weeks because there is a very, very small team sifting through literally millions of submissions every single day. So get it up as early as possible. Exactly. Um, Holly, you don't have anything to add on that? Uh, no, no. I think you covered cool. everything. Cool. Uh, next thing I want to cover is Spotify for artists. Um, you need to have Spotify for artists up to date. <clears throat> so basically what Spotify for artists is, is it's basically a tool in Spotify that allows you to have a bunch of pictures. It has all your uh, bio info in there. It has your links and all sorts of different things in there. And it's vitally important to have that up to date. I'm going to let Corey talk about this for a brief second again. Mm. Spotify. I mean, you pretty much covered it. Have it up to yeah. date. So have a up-to-date bio that talks about what you're currently working on or what your future plans are. Don't have your last releases info in there if you're working a new release. It's the same thing as for your social media accounts, like what Holly just mentioned. Don't have your last release up there if you're working something new. Have an up-to-date band photo. Make sure that your cover photo is something that people can actually see who you are. Um, too many cover photos. It's like they cut off the top of people's heads because they don't have it formatted right or positioned correctly. So make sure that your band photo is something that people can see who you are. Um, make sure the avatar is also a band photo, not your logo, because people don't engage with logos. They engage with people. Yep. Also have your artist pick set up. If you have a new single, if you've created a playlist with your music, Make sure you set your artist pick to direct people exactly where you want to go. Just make sure everywhere you can fill out something for your band, it's in there. And like having your social links, everything, all of it in your Spotify. Exactly. And the part of the reason why this is, is because it helps people find out more about you and can direct them to other spots where they can engage with you more fully. Mm -hmm. And it also gets people more interested in the band if you do that, because people like seeing a picture of a band, they like learning more about them. People actually do check this out, believe it or not. Uh, next thing, unless either one of you guys had anything else on that? No? Ooh, I guess Ooh. one thing I kind of thought might be quite interesting. I've seen mm -hmm. a couple of bands do this where 
you know, they're preparing for a new release, but they're not at the point of sharing new band photos or artwork or anything. So yeah. they take off everything that was there for their previous release. So all photos, all bio, and just leave their profile blank for however many months. I was going to say, I do not like this at all, but I keep seeing bands doing it and it's really annoying. We do have someone in our circle who I will not name that does like to do this, but I, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I think it's a matter of viewpoint, but I think the three of us can agree we don't like it. Yeah. So, um, Corey, what were you going to say? No, just agreeing. Okay. Um, so the, the so we've got a few more things to cover on here. So the next thing is figure out what formats you're going to have your album available on. So obviously you're going to have digital. Everybody has digital nowadays. If you don't do digital, you are stupid. Um, maybe 10 years ago, you could get you could get, get away with it, but you can't really now. Um, so basically, the formats you got to figure out is you're going to release on CD, cassette, vinyl. And the thing is, is if you're going to release on vinyl, right now, you're going to have a fucking long wait. And tapes, too, to my understanding, wasn't it you saying that, Corey, that the tape tape manufacturers were blacklogged or was that someone else was speaking to you last week um, that's both me and sean frazier who runs wise blood records have brought it up that okay. tape manufacturers because of the supply chain shortages yeah. um you're looking at like if you want vinyl you're looking at a minimum of like a year for turnaround yeah. right now it's it's gnarly because of the supply chain and the backup the demand it's yep like the perfect storm for shit and now it's hitting the tape market because when people couldn't get vinyl they shifted to tapes so now the tape market is backed up by months so now we're shifting back to cds <laughs> and so honestly you know what i hope comes back you know those black cylinders from like victrola days let's let's bring that back those you, crazy you want, you want <laughs> yeah let's bring that back next rather than bringing back cds what about the Fisher records? <laughs> or no, let's bring back hit clips. Who remembers those? I don't even know what that is. What's hit clips? Oh my god. It was like a tiny little little Walkman and it came with these tiny little things that look like miniature um Nintendo cartridges that really? had a single song on them. Oh, this. I know what this is. Things. Yeah, let's bring those yeah. back. But no, yeah, if if you're wanting to do anything that isn't a CD. So if you want to do vinyl, if you want to do cassette, you've got to plan really far in advance for your release, or you're just going to be sitting there waiting for it. Yeah. I mean, one thing you can do just as an aside is you could release digital sooner and then do the physical release later too, if you don't want to wait, because it's kind of stupid at the same time to wait a year, year and a half for your album to come out. Um, okay. So anything else on formats, Holly, that you want to cover? Nope. nope, I think that's everything. Just as an aside, and I know you guys are probably both going to disagree with me, I do believe that CDs are going to make a comeback pretty quick, and especially with this happening, I think it's going to fucking happen sooner rather than later, and CDs are going to become the new vinyl, and Corey's going to kill me and commit <laughs> They won't become the new vinyl, they'll become the temporary vinyl. Oh yeah, for sure, at least temporary. Yeah, at the moment the supply chain picks back up and people are able to keep, like the manufacturing is able to keep up with the demand, CDs, oh, mm -hmm. they'll be abandoned again. We will see, we will see, we will see. I think you're right though, because I, I don't like the size of CDs. The problem with CDs is the thighs, but that's another that's another story here. And the problem is, is they're just not cool. Like vinyl's freaking cool. You can, you can get it in all sorts of crazy colors. 
And the concept of vinyl is super cool. I know I'm going off on a tangent right now. I realize that, but it's literally a physical manifestation of a sound. That's not the same case Ooh. with CDs. Ooh, what if they had splatter CDs? No, it's still not the same. I'm just kidding. I, 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 I was just asking. Splatter CDs, gold, gold edition CDs, colored CDs. Eh. Okay, fine. Just asking. Just asking. I'm a snob, I know. I'm just asking. Uh, okay, so next, uh, Holly, would you like to contribute anything about CDs versus vinyl before we move on to the next topic here? I, I'm not sure I have much to add because my okay. pet peeve is just that everyone listens, listens to MP3s, which are crap compared to CDs. So that's... The unfortunate... I'm, I'm more of a CD person, but that's because my vinyl record player is broken. So <laughs> I can't use it. The bummer about CDs is like my car doesn't have a CD player. It didn't even come with one. Um, it's just to the point where CDs have become inconvenient. And if I'm going to be inconvenienced to listen to my music, I'm going to choose a cool format. <laughs> we're, we're I mean, a good point. I think you two are about to get into a fight, so I'm going to move off this. <laughs> oh, now that we're done on this, we'll have a we'll have a. WWE style debate another time. Uh, MP3 be tagged. So this is the next next thing right here. So the MP3s, please, for the love of God, tag your MP3s. Do not send them as wave files. Uh, do not send them any lower than 192. Uh, what is it? KBPS. I can't remember the abbreviation. Uh, preferably 320 if you can. Uh, the reason why is because if you do any lower than 192. I'm going to get people, and Holly's going to get people, and Corey's going to get people bitching at us and complaining that the sound quality is too low. I personally can't really tell the difference, really, when it goes a little bit lower, because my understanding is Bandcamp actually streams lower. I think it's like 123 or something. Don't quote me on that. But I, I, I don't really see the difference too much. But apparently, a lot of I've had lots of journalists come back to me and say, why the fuck are the MP3s in such lower quality? So send them at 320, please. And for the love of God, do not send them as wave, send them as tagged. Corey, can you explain for a second what I mean by tagged? So making sure that all of the appropriate band data is embedded within the file. And the reason you don't want to send waves, which yes, they are lossless, they're higher quality, that's what you have to upload to Bandcamp and all that jazz. Ain't no journalist going to download a three gig file just to listen to your album. It ain't happening. <laughs> And we ran into this problem yesterday where somebody sent wave files to Curtis, who has no, unfortunately three times. Three times. Oh, three times. Yes. Three times. So, and Curtis unfortunately has been working off of a subpar computer while his is in the shop, and yep. it actually crashed his computer. Yeah. My, my computer is a beast, and it still took a long time for it to open the file. I have a gaming laptop that's it's ridiculous and overkill for what I do. But those wave files, it's they're too big for anybody to want to mess with. So a properly tagged MP3 with all of the data that needs to be in there that's high enough quality but small enough of a file for people to access is the way to go. I agree. And, and just as an aside, I have to say, um, Corey is amazing to have as a business partner because she has this fucking beast of a computer. Because when I, when I do have a situation like this, I can just send her the file in just in two seconds. So yes, of course I can. Yeah. Well, I normally could too, but I've got the fucking goddamn thing in the shop and I'm working off a 
12 year old laptop right now which is just fucking... yeah exactly um, it could be worse i could have no laptop and be trying to work from my fucking phone so i can't really bitch um holly do you have any... work via carrier pigeon oh sucks so bad i'd have to just you just be like Corey, you're you, you're taking over everything for like the month sorry see ya i have no computer um holly what's what's your thoughts on, this, on tagging my i guess my only thing is like you know people who are sending over wavs or non-tagged mp3s you're giving us more unnecessary admin work to do so we're having to spend time like you know loading up music software to convert it to an mp3 or whatever when we could actually be, you know, working on your PR campaign. <laughs> well, there's also a key point that none of us have brought up, I just realized. The key point about tagging MP3s is a lot of journalists are nerds, like flat out nerds. And they get really fucking mad when the tracks aren't tagged correctly in their in their programs. I don't know what it is, but if you send out untagged tracks, like just by accident, and I've done this, I will get back these fucking weird fucking emails from people just infuriated that they're not tagged properly. It's like the weirdest fucking thing. Uh, Corey, do you have anything to say about, about the nerdiness of what's journalists before we Well, know? it's not always just nerdiness. It's, I mean, all of us want to write the most effective piece that we can when we're premiering a piece of music. And yep. if we don't have all of the appropriate information, we can't do our jobs properly. So it's, was, it's not even it, like if you take out all of the nerdiness, we, we still have a job to do at the end of the day. And our job requires accuracy and the completeness of information. So if you don't give us complete information, we can't publish complete information about your band. And I mean, I've had bands pitch me that they don't even include who's in the band. And it's like, yeah. dude. And plus, from a legality standpoint, you do need to have all of that information embedded into your files for things like say somebody wants to say you're trying to get sync placements you have yep. to have all of that information legally speaking so mm -hmm. it's best to just do it from the get-go very npr way of, of, of saying it but i also but that was very good Corey. um mm -hmm. last so two more things we got before we end off uh, this is very important, which is the bio. So you don't necessarily have to have a bio written before you start PR, but you need to have some sort of information for the journalist, or sorry, the PR rather, to operate off of. Corey, we had this experience recently, and I know you're quite passionate about this because of the fact that this has happened quite recently. Can you kind of go over in your own mind what you feel is sufficient information that we need in order to have make an acceptable bio? The biggest thing is you need to understand and be able to articulate your own project. If you yep. can't tell me what your project is about, you're not ready for PR. If you can't tell me what your genre is, you're not ready for PR. If you cannot explain what the fuck you're doing, even in the most rudimentary terms, you are not ready for PR. You need to be able to talk about your band. And it's not just because it makes the PR's job easier. Think about it from this perspective. What if we get you an interview and the first question in any interview is going to be, can you tell me about your band? And you sit there and you're like, uh, well, I just do stuff. Like, seriously, that's not going to go over well. Or I don't really know how to explain it. You have to. You have to be able to know how to explain it. It's part of being in this industry. You have to be able to talk about yourself. 
And if you get interviews where that's how the interaction goes, they're going to bomb every time. Corey, you are the best. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry, this was like the most irritating thing that happened. And it just, the, oh, ah. <laughs> so, Holly, I'm okay, you, I promise. Uh, I like it. When, I like it when you get set off. Okay, so this this is good. So Holly, let's 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 hear your viewpoint on this since you write a good chunk of the bios nowadays. Yeah, well. it's it's kind of it, it's far better to have like to give your PR too much information than not enough because I'm mm -hmm. happy to filter out what I think is important and what isn't or what I think is relevant and what isn't. Um, but if I'm not given anything in the first place, <laughs> it's like I've got to pull out of thin air words to describe whatever it is that you're doing or what your new release is. Right. You're supposed to do everything. It's difficult. Yeah, and let's be real. Nobody is going to understand your project as well as you do. Like, nope. I'm never, ever going to be able to describe Holly's band the way that she would want it to be described because it'll all be from my perspective and not the band's perspective. I don't have the thought process behind the music. I don't know the emotion that went into the music. Yes, I can describe it. Yes, I can you know, tell you the emotions that it gives me, but I can never tell Holly what her perspective is. So you're never gonna be able to articulate your band in a way that's authentic to you unless some of it is coming from you. Agreed. Uh, mm -hmm. Anything else you wanna add Holly before we move on to the last one? Um, I guess, yeah, just make sure that you're putting in every piece of information, even if you don't, even if you think it's obvious, because I think so many bands assume that everyone knows their history already when we don't. <laughs> so yep. just give it absolutely everything, even if it feels obvious or too simple or whatever. And if you give too much information, I think we'd all rather have too much than too little info, but to a certain point, because we've also had it where we got the kitchen sink and that was a little bit much so uh judgment i think is the key in all things so the very last thing to take up quick is the quote the band quote so holly you've been after band quotes quite a bit recently so let's hear your your opinion and why we need a band quote and what a band quote is specifically please yeah so a band quote is usually just a comment uh, about the new release or um about the event whatever it is that they're promoting but it just gives a little bit of a an insider perspective from the band and it's a bit it's more personal as well so it just feels kind of nicer to include in alongside all of the biographical stuff so can you give an example like let's say you were asked to give one for disconnected souls right now i'm mm -hmm. putting you on the spot would okay. you can you give a brief example of what you would what you could say um yeah okay so i'll try if i do like the warring elements thing that's probably easier yeah so i I do something like, oh, um, we're thrilled to like announce that we're re-releasing Warring Elements. It's our debut EP. We are incredibly happy with what we achieved with it. We're thrilled at the way our fans have responded to it. Um, we hope you enjoy it. I don't cool. know, something like that. Cool. So like basically two to three lines. Yeah, I think that's a good amount. Cool. Corey, I know you want to comment on this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, two to three lines is a good quote. I think the most infuriating response I've ever gotten was uh, I asked a band for a quote and they came back saying, yeah, we don't really have anything else to say. And it's just like, how can you not talk about your own music? How can you not be? Because to me, what that says 
is the band's motivations aren't really there. They're right. wanting to put out music to look cool. They're wanting to put out music to potentially be famous or whatever. And it's not something that they're truly passionate about. And it makes the music feel ingenuine if somebody can't talk about it. And I understand being shy. That's why I say, you know, two to three sentences, just something basic like what Holly said, you know, we're super excited for this album. It's been, you know, a, a lot of work, but we're really proud of what we've accomplished and we hope you enjoy it too. Bam, like super easy. Yep. Now there are some quotes that it's like they get really, really long and they get yeah. really dirty. Chances are those are going to get trimmed unless there's something really impactful inside yep. that quote that really like adds extra meaning to the song or the album. Agreed. Um, but yeah, I'd rather, like Holly said, I'd rather have too long of a quote that I can trim than too short of a quote or no quote. Agreed. Uh, and then the very last point I want to bring up before we end off is also uh, make sure before you're starting a PR campaign that um, you also fully vet your publicist that you're going to be working with. Uh, because one thing that will frequently happen is a band will reach out to a publicist just cold. They won't they won't talk to anybody that has previously worked with them or anything. They'll get disappointed or they'll find that they paid too much money or whatever. It wasn't just the right fit. Make sure that you properly vet your publicist. And then, other than that, uh, Holly, do you have anything else you want to add to this conversation before we end off? Um, I think make sure that they're right for your genre or your style and things like that as well, because you can have a really good PR company, but if they don't understand, you know, black metal or something like that, then they're not going to help be as good to help you. I agree. I agree. Uh, Corey, do you have any final thoughts before we end off? No, I am good on my end. Cool. Well, party on, Corey. Party on, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. You can also join the conversation by following us on any social media and suggesting guests or topics you'd like to learn more about. Thanks for listening to C-Squared. <laughs>